This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Isabel Hardman. Now, Katie, since we did the last recording of Coffee House Shots, uh, Isa Levido, the Tory campaign strategist, was last night giving a big speech to Conservative MPs at the 1922 committee. Tell us more about that. Yes, yeah, so I think this was interesting timing because he was had been booked in advance to speak on Monday night to the 22. But of course, what also happened on Monday was the MRP poll we talked about yesterday, which suggested uh, that Keir Starmer is on course for an election to be held now to win a majority of 120. And you've had figures such as David Frost, who are linked to the poll and had a role, and also MPs who I think is known of quite unhappy with where things are, yeah. come out and say, how awful is this? We must act. And for example, David Frost, I think, put in his accompanying piece, you know, whatever the strategy is, if there is even a strategy, obviously I'm loosely quoting it's not direct it's not working we need to change and then you have Isaac Levido coming up and saying here's the strategy here's the plan so I think it was an opportunity for a bit of a counter narrative to the narrative coming from Frost and Co and the Telegraph earlier Mm. that day ultimately he did address the poll those in the room say so he described as you know just another poll another MRP model with the same margins of error the same statistical limitations as any other and ultimately said to MPs you know your constituencies best so you're going to be the best place to to work out how the mood is and so forth more probably than a pollster can and then also I think what was quite interesting was quite punchy and being critical of those behind the poll because which I don't think was yeah. aimed at YouGov um, I think that was aimed at <laughs> effectively this mysterious conservative donor group mm. that we never heard of before that has funded this poll and said the people who organised this poll and analysed and timed the release of it seemed to be intent of undermining this government and our party and therefore the re-election prospects of every single one of you in this room and to that from from attendees and and that you know had lots of desk banging now of course in these meetings there tends to be desk banging yep. at the right moments and it's never a complete read of the mood of the party because you tend to get the most loyal vocal as an effort to amp things up but it does at least give you a sliver of where things are the fact that this poll has spooked some people it's galvanized others but also some are saying we see what your game is do you know what i mean we know what you're trying to do more generally i think it confirmed what we talked about in the podcast last week which is the tory strategy is evolving i don't think we need to debate right now change versus non-change and so forth but what levita confirmed in that a meeting was the idea that the economy will be front and center that's where there will be a big push also the talk that we've heard from david cameron at the weekend and rishi sunak and others which is we've got a plan where's keir starmer's plan that is something they want to keep saying so i think in terms of as journalists we often criticize these campaign messages and um, for being very repetitive and perhaps not giving us enough entertainment yeah but i think in terms of clearly what they wanted to be is rishi sunak has a plan don't give up the progress keir starmer doesn't have a plan let's ask questions about his plan and to talk about the economy with some other things thrown in i think on boats they just do not know where they are on it it's also disunity in the Tory party but like, I think even if it were to feature they need to get more of a sense of what the picture will look like closer to the election mm. and I think leaving 
the meeting in terms of the mood. I mean, some people stood outside but saying, oh, everyone looked a bit sombre. I think it was quite a sombre meeting, but not because the presentation landed badly. Just if you are a party that's 20 points behind yeah. and you're getting this talk, which is the things you need to do. Um, because ultimately the message was, Levida thinks they can win. <laughs> do you think you can win? Because if so, there's actually a lot of work to do. So I think it was more, this is the challenge. Here's how we do to get there. Not everyone will agree with the solution. But I think those even were more saying it just reminded how serious things were. Yeah. Isabel, uh, Katie there points the point about it's always been 20 points behind in that electoral poll. Uh, there have been two sort of developments today with the election, hasn't there? The first is the publication of analysis by Rawlings and Thrasher about how difficult it'll be for Labour to win the next election in terms of under the new boundaries. And the second is the publication of Labour's campaign Bible being put around by Pat McFadden. Uh, tell us about both. Yeah, so um, Rawlings and Thrasher analysis is is always sort of... I'd say it's a kind of gold standard of um, political polling analysis. So it, it really is worth paying a lot of attention to. And uh, this suggests that Labour needs a national swing of 12.7%. To just to put that into context, when New Labour won with its landslide in 1997, it won it with 10.2%. Um, and indeed, the Attlee government back in 1945 uh, came to power on a 12% swing. So you know, those were historic victories with, I mean, you could say that that Attlee wasn't a particularly charismatic leader, Uh, Tony Blair was, and I think that that it's um, debatable as to whether Keir Starmer has the the personal charisma and magnetism to achieve a record swing. The bigger question is whether voters are sufficiently enthusiastic about Labour yet to achieve a swing like that, because at the moment... And this is something that you get from both Labour and Conservative focus groups, from independent focus groups. If you listen to the focus groups that the uh, that the Times regularly runs on Times Radio, for instance, the appetite is for change. Voters are fed up with the Conservatives. They think the Tories are all over the place. But there's no particular thirst for Labour. Um, and this is what concerns anyone in Labour who's paying attention, frankly, is that they're not in a kind of 1997 position. And Starmer himself has said this, where there is excitement around the party. And to a certain extent, they had to go through a boring phase because they were so exciting as a party over the past few years that voters were terrified of them. And they were exciting in very much the wrong way. And uh, Keir Starmer's purpose was to make, and Rachel Reeves's purpose has been to make Labour appear not scary. So that the Conservatives, whenever they do do their attacks on you know what a risk it would be to vote Labour, that always falls flat. Now Rishi Sunak, as as Katie said, has been changing his messages a lot recently because he keeps he seems to keep receiving incomplete focus group information uh, that then changes and uh, refines or entirely changes his message. But he's gone from talking about Labour being a risk to saying back to square one with Labour. Now, I think some voters might listen to Rishi Sunak saying we want to finish the job and think, well, I don't know what the job is. And I don't think you know what the job is, Rishi Sunak. And back to square one might actually be quite appealing. But that's still not, here's this vision of the New Jerusalem that you might necessarily need to sell in order to get a 12.7% swing. And so that's where a lot of, you know, if you talk to shadow cabinet members privately, and sort of Labour grandees, that's where a lot of them are, is that they they worry that there's going to still be a cautious approach that will 
mean that a you know record-breaking swing that's necessary to to get a majority Labour government is not going to get them there. There's always that tension, which is, do you run a risk-averse campaign, Keir Starmer, a Ming Vaz-type approach, or do you take more risks, and are you more bold? And certainly, I think the portion of the shadow cabinet who believe in the bold approach, and the ones that used to talk about speaking in primary colours, they do so less so now um, that Keir Starmer is so far ahead. But I think what is interesting about this research is, which is, of course, down to the Boundary Commission changes. So it shows how, how in 2019, and the Tories would have won even more seats if it was uh, you know, now on Lees and so forth, is it is just a reminder that if campaigns do what they tend to do, which makes things more competitive, and the MRP did take some of this into account, to be fair, and the Telegraph MP, but if the Tories do manage to narrow the gap somewhat, this kind of priced-in narrative, which sounds slightly ludicrous for me to say on a week where the Tories seem to go with war with one another <laughs> and the polls are, are so much in Labour's favour. But I think the concern, it, certainly in the Labour HQ, is the narrative that Labour's going to win big, given the swings that you do need, given that campaigns tend to things, make things more competitive, means that you could end up in a situation where things aren't as close as they seem. The narrative of the election, because of all the polling and the build-up, is less about what the Tories would do and more intense scrutiny of what Labour would do with a majority of 120. There's always a narrative, you know, a, a way that uh, broadcasters and so forth approach stuff in an election. If it becomes that, it's quite difficult to get away from. If you think back to, you know, 2017... What's Theresa May going to do with all this power in a way people not taking Jeremy Corbyn and the manifesto as seriously as I think they did in 2019? And then a situation whereby it was a hung parliament. And there was, of course, a presentation, I think we've spoken about previous on this podcast, which is Shadow Cabinet, with Morgan McSweeney showing all these graphs and how you had consistent poll leads. They collapsed in a campaign that's across the world, some here, some abroad. Um, therefore, you can't take it for granted. And I think what the fresher research does to show there is just it just is highlight that there is still a scenario, no matter what we think about what is happening this week, that, that could come to pass. And then just briefly, I think, on what Labour are doing today with their candidates. So this is the candidates' um, handbook that has gone out to the candidates about the next stage of campaigning. And I think probably what is interesting is just it's telling them to attack the Tories on the economy. So you have, on one hand, the official Tory strategist saying, we're fighting on the economy most, that's that's yeah. front and centre. Then you have Labour saying, attack them on the economy and talk about Liz Truss as much as she can. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. And before we go, could you have done a better job at producing this podcast? Did you spot an error I made? Anyone else? Uh, if so, Spectator is hiring. We're looking for a new producer to join our broadcast team working across our suite of podcasts, including this one, as well as our YouTube channel, Spectator TV. Follow the link in the podcast description and find it on our website. Bye.